You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're listening to the MLB.com StatCast Podcast. Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello. Sitting here with me, Matt Myers, MLB.com National Editor. Matt, how are you? I'm great. Good. Very excited. Baseball is getting closer by the second. I've, that's absolutely true. We are, what, two and a half weeks away from opening day. Uh, we're getting into fantasy drafts. I saw Hamilton last night. It wasn't about Billy or Josh, which is a little disappointing, but it was super cool. And uh, that's exciting. So what we're going to do today, I think, is uh, a little later we're going to talk to Charlie Blackman, who I spoke to in the locker room in Arizona, and he's a really awesome guy. Uh, first, we're going to use StatCast to start looking ahead at some fantasy drafts, and we're going to focus on hitters, right? Yeah, and, and Blackman actually is probably a good jumping off point because he's become a fascinating fantasy player. Uh, he was one of only three players last year to steal 40 bases, making him, in, in a certain sense, one of the more valuable fantasy guys out there yeah would you say three guys who stole 40 and nine guys who hit 40 home runs it's really hard to find those stolen bases and a guy who can be productive in other ways yes and you know obviously as we've talked about before with some of these Colorado players some people are skeptical of uh maybe Blackman or how he would succeed if he was on the Rockies but for fantasy purposes that doesn't really matter anyway stolen bases travel well <laughs> I don't think that has anything to do with Coors Field uh so we have a whole bunch of guys to get to but I think we want to uh, look back for a quick second and say we've already talked about some of these guys mm -hmm. we've looked at Statcast about some of these hitters who are, are going to bounce back uh I've been talking about Marcelo Zuna for weeks huge on the Marcelo Zuna I'd go train. so far as that maybe a year you've been talking about Marcelo Zuna Marcel, uh, just just to recap Marcelo Zuna he was uh, one of the top 20 guys in exit velocity and he's the only one who had a below average season and so I think in year two of Statcast we're going to see that that's going to mean he's going to have a really good season I'm fully buying into the Marcelo Ozuna experience. If you thought Ozuna was a sleeper before, uh, Mike is trying to make sure that doesn't happen. Uh, Chris Carter, we've talked about. You know, Chris Carter strikes out a ton, but he goes to Milwaukee. He's going to have a ton of playing time. Uh, and he just destroyed the ball. He had the best exit velocity after August 1st last year. Really big on Chris Carter. If you can accept he's going to hit, you know, 195, but maybe you'll get your 35 homers out of him. Uh, Ryan Zimmerman, we talked about Ryan Zimmerman. He was trying to play through foot pain. We saw his exit velocity was like 87, 88. Finally takes 40 games off, comes back, destroys the ball for a month. You know, we've seen Ryan Zimmerman produce before. And Robinson Cano. Everybody knows about Robinson Cano. Tough first six weeks of the season. It's actually really, really good after June 15th or so. Uh, I think he's getting undervalued. I think people are down on him, and that's unfair. No question. I'm, uh, I'm on the uh, Robinson Cano train for this year. And we have two second basemen that, uh, to get right into that I think sort of fit this, yes. fit this mold as well. Of, uh... Rugi. We're going to start with Rugi. Runet Odor. I can call him Rugi because I don't actually say his first name. Uh, he was on the, he's on the Rangers. Actually, it was awful to start last season. He, he got demoted. He got demoted. He got demoted. You know, he made it barely to May. He got demoted. Comes back up. So before he goes down, exit velocity, 83 miles an hour. That's uh, bad. That's real bad. Yeah, 88 or so is about the average. Uh, 252 on base percentage before he gets sent down. That's real bad. Comes back up June 15th, 89 miles an hour exit velocity. Uh, he is all of a sudden slugging at 527 after he comes back up, which is really good. He was, uh, let's see about 70% below league average as a hitter before he went down, which is atrocious, at 26% above league average after he comes back up. That's really impressive. Yeah, the, the slugging seems a little on the high end for me, uh, 527, but you see the cut and whiff rate. He's got speed, so he seems like he's going to be the kind of guy who's going to hit a bunch of doubles, 
decent average, take walks. So, I mean, that's that's a valuable player. Yeah, and, and I think that's not, you know, the name, like the name itself, it's a great name. So everybody knows that name, but I don't think in terms of, of fantasy drafts, he's really rising up. Like when I did the, the top 10 list for MLB Network a few weeks ago, I had to sneak him in as the number 10 second baseman. And I think I was the only one who had him there. I don't think he's getting that kind of like national respect based on what he did last year. And it sort of surprises me because so much of the Rangers run late in the second half of the season, I feel like... It was based on him. It he, was him. Was, he was a huge yeah, part of that. Him, him and Sinshu Chu started hitting the ball. And, and I don't think people focused on Adore because you look at the Rangers, you know, Darvish is coming back. They traded for Cole Hamels. Everything that goes around Josh Hamilton. Evie and Desmond now. I think Odor lost in the shuffle a little bit. And I think he's, he's really a guy we should be looking at. And you can see just in the exit velocity, he starts crushing the ball when he comes back up. Speaking of exit velocity, next name on your list, second baseman for the Orioles. Scope. Jonathan Scope. Uh, he, he you know, kind of he, a little bit different. He was really bad in 2014. He was basically an everyday player, 480 plate appearances, 244 on base percentage, not good. Uh, about 40% below league average as a hitter, super not good. You know, last year, you know, he missed a bunch of time to a knee injury, but he actually showed a lot of power. You know, he slugged 480, uh, 20% above league average uh, as far as a hitter. He hit the third longest home run of the entire season per stack cast off of Johnny Cueto. And I think you could have guessed about a million different guys who'd be in the top five for longest home runs. I don't think Jonathan Scope would be on that list. Yeah, you know, the Orioles, from that perspective, are, have become a, a fascinating team because they are obviously have Chris Davis um, and Manny Machado. And then, but then you've got Scope, who's sort of surprisingly like this stealth slugger. And then they just added... Pedro Alvarez, Alvarez, who's kind of another guy who fits into this mold. You know, he's coming from PNC Park, which reduces home runs for uh, left-handed hitters by 8% to Cannon Yards, increases it by 14%. So he's going to a park that was unfriendly for the kind of hitter that he is to extremely friendly for the kind of player that he is. And among players, this is this. I'll uh, give, give you a little uh, a query we ran beforehand. It's a StatCast query. StatCast it's query. Inside the StatCast database. Uh, players with... Exit velocity greater than 100 miles per hour and a launch angle of 10 to 25 miles uh, degrees. That's sort of the sweet spot. Basically hard hit line drives. Hard hit line drives to sort of home run type swings. Right. Um, based on percentage of balls in play, Alvarez ranked 11th last year. He's going to get a lot of swing and miss, but if you're looking for a cheap first base option deep in, yeah. your, in your fantasy league, I'm a... Uh, I'm and, on the and, Alvarez train. And 11th may not sound that impressive, but some of the names above him, Goldschmidt, you know, Mike Trout, Joannis Cespedes, Giancarlo Stanton. I mean, these are the guys that you would think of when you're thinking about crushing baseballs. And that's where Pedro Alvarez shows up. Obviously, like Chris Carter, you're going to get a healthy dose of swing and miss. But you, like you said about the Orioles, he is similar to Chris Davis, right? He's a ton of swing and miss, a ton of power, and Chris Davis has been very successful in this and, and, I mean, just a year ago, Chris Davis coming off 2014 versus Pedro Alvarez – you might have seen them as basically equals. Now, coming this year, you know, Alvarez is a free agent bargain, and Davis signed for, what, a hundred and... Uh, a lot, too much money. Yeah. Too much money. That's a separate conversation. <laughs> the point is, there, there, it, it, there is a non-zero chance that Alvarez outproduces Chris Davis this year. I'll, I'll take the under on it, but I like the data that... I said non, non-zero. Non-zero. <laughs> All right, let me ask you a question. What would you say if you had a Chris Davis who could play center field, maybe a, a fewer, a little a little less walks, but had the power, had the exit velocity, had the strikeouts, and he could play center field. Would that be a valuable player to you? That would be a valuable player to me in reality and in fantasy. Okay. I'm talking about Randall Gritchick, who I think up until this point has mostly been known as the guy selected one pick above Mike Trout in the draft. Randall Gritchick's become pretty valuable player. We've been talking about him for a while because he was one of the first quote-unquote StatCast All-Stars, right? He started showing up on the exit velocity leaderboards really soon last year, uh, and he stayed there. We, we looked. There were 453 players who had at least 50 batted balls last year. He was fifth in exit velocity. 
at 94.5. So whenever he made contact, and granted he doesn't always, he hit it really, really hard. And uh, I think that, poor, especially since he's going to get a lot of playing time this year, that really puts him in a good position to succeed. Yeah, no quite. I mean, they basically let Jason Hayward walk. Yeah, and traded John Jay. Because of because of their belief in Grichuk. And whatever you say, but the, Card- the Cardinals have done a very good job of turning players like Grichuk into impact players. And so it's not surprising to see him develop and sort of come into his own while playing in that organization. And what I like about him from a purely fantasy perspective, I know a lot of people have leagues where it's just like three outfielders, but some people play it's got to be a left fielder, center fielder, right fielder. He's, got, he's eligible at all three, which is cool. That's flexibility. Yeah. Speaking of which, another outfielder sort of fits that bill, I think, and maybe in some leagues would have a center field eligibility. No? Puig? Uh, Puig? Uh, Did he play some center field last year? Not, not, well, not too much. A little bit, I don't think, but probably just right field. At the five-game threshold, uh, you know. Hey, in Yahoo, Manny Machado is eligible shortstop. So well, that... if that's the case, then I think that you might get Puig at center field. Regardless, Puig is another another fascinating player. So Puig obviously is a name. Everybody knows Yasiel Puig. And I think everybody's really down on him. Granted, you know, he's he had that amazing rookie year, and then his second year was good and a little worse, and then his third year was worse. But I think the way the narrative is about him, it's that he's coming off an atrocious disaster of a year. You know, Chris Davis is 2014, like you mentioned. He was still 11% above league average as a hitter last year, and he did that while dealing with a couple of bad hamstring injuries. So maybe that's always going to be his deal. Maybe he's never going to be healthy. But I think, you know, you saw before he went on the DL that second time, he was really starting to hit the ball. Um, you look at, at his June, he was 40% above league average. August, he was 20% above league average. Uh, his exit velocity, it's the same as, as Chris Bryant. It's the same as Joey Votto. Uh, he's got to deal with the injuries, obviously, and all the other off-field stuff. But you look at that team, he has nothing but opportunity because nobody knows what Jock Peterson's going to be. Nobody knows what the left field mess of Ethier and Crawford's going to be. They need Puig to succeed. And if he's healthy, you know, I think this is the year he, he really kind of get back to what he was. Yeah, speak, you mentioned Jock Peterson. I want to take a bit of a Jock Peterson aside. I'm very curious what you think of him because this is a player who, you know, there, early last year it was like, oh, this is the next Jim Edmonds. And then by yeah. August it was like, this guy shouldn't be on the field. And he's still, what, 23, 24? Oh, yeah, he's, he's young. I, I, I worry about Jock Peterson because they have a new hitting coach this year. Uh, and they've really tried to, like, rebuild his swing from the ground up. And from what I've seen of him in spring training, and I was there in person one day, it's been a different swing, like, every time he comes to the plate. It seems like he's trying a bunch of new things, but he hasn't settled on any of them yet. And even the ball he crushed for a home run came off, like, a 79-mile-an-hour Jared Weaver meatball that you and I probably could hit out. So that didn't even give me that much confidence in him. Obviously, he's going to get opportunity. I worry about the fact that he's ever going to be able to make contact with the ball and get to that power. He's, I mean, he sort of represents this extreme in the game right now, right, where basically there was this, this in, as part of, like, the analytics revolution or whatever you want to call it, there was obviously this this shift in belief that strikeouts didn't really matter. So you saw this whole, like, group of players coming through the minors, and a lot of them kind of fit this bill, the players we've been talking about, um, the guys who swing hard, and when they hit the ball, they hit it really hard. Yeah. But there's kind of this this tipping there, point, right? There's a limit. Of, there's of, absolutely a limit. Of where, of where you... That's, where you hit. that's why I like Miguel Sano, right? He struck out 35% of the time last year, but he drew a lot of walks and he crushed it every time he made contact. So, you know, that all comes out in the wash as being successful. Peterson, his problem is, you know, he's striking out more than I think is acceptable, and he wasn't hitting the ball as hard in the second half. Yeah, another another guy who sort of falls into that, that, that bucket, big prospect who didn't have as much success last year, Joey Gallo. Um, again, another guy who... Strikes out more has struck out more than thirty percent. I think last year maybe even the big leagues it was like forty percent of the time. Yeah, for Gallo. But you, then on the flip side, you see guys succeeding right at that level too. Chris Bryant, Chris Davis, 
So it's sort of there's that that fine line of really what you do when you put the ball in. Yeah, play. I mean there there is a point where there's too many strikeouts, and I think we saw with the Royals last year making contact is in vogue, and I, I think that's a little bit overrated in sense of why they won the World Series. But I, I think we're starting to see teams get to that. I think that's why Washington was so excited to get Daniel Murphy because he upped his contact rate immensely, and, and maybe that helped him get to some of that power. But I think in terms of, of fantasy. If you have a lot of strikeouts, it's not going to help your batting average, and I think that might be a big deal. In the real world, batting average isn't quite as important, but I think we're, we're seeing some of those effects here because you're right. Look at all these guys are talking about crush the ball, strikeout a lot. Yeah, you mentioned Sano before. I'll go back to that query I mentioned before about players who hit the ball in the sweet spot, more than 100 miles per hour, 10 to 25 degree launch angle. Last year, highest percentage of balls in play, Miguel Sano, number one. That's great. Minimum... minimum uh, 20 at-bats, low and threshold. But. Look who's number three on that list I'm looking at it right now. It's our boy Randall Gritchick. Oh, and number five, Chris, it's Carter. Chris Carter. right? <laughs> See, the guys we've been talking about for a while, and we've run this query about hard hit line drives, and they're right on there, which you know, I think I'm hoping we're going to look back at the end of the season and say, oh, wow, that was really a useful metric to look at guys who are going to be great this year. Yeah, and now the one thing about a lot of these players, and part of the reason that some of them have, have suffered in the modern game is shifting because a lot of them, particularly the left-handed hitters, are dead pull hitters and teams have sort of figured out okay we can basically eliminate them from ever hitting singles and make it really hard for them to ever hit doubles basically the mark to share in yankee stadium corollary where basically once the team started shifting him in yankee stadium as a left-handed hitter his bat bit went from like 290 yeah, to like it's the brian mccann problem yeah. <laughs> so the reason i mentioned that is because the next player i wanted to bring up christian yelich he is one of these what i like about him is sort of the unshiftable player you know you look at his spray chart it's color all over the field. He's sort of had this really weird offensive profile of consistency, but getting into it in weird ways. Unbelievable consistency. Every single year, he's been in the big leagues three years, uh, and his weighted runs created plus, so the average on that is 100. 117, 117, 117. He's been exactly 17% above league average each of the last three years, and of course for his career. Uh, and it's amazing to see that every single year. But you know, I think we saw he changed a little bit, right? He went on the DL last year, and he came back, and he was a bit of a different player. Yeah, I mean, he, for the first... For even across the season, he had the lowest launch angle of anyone in baseball. Right. Which means ground balls. Ground balls. A basically. lot of ground balls. I mean, in fact, for the first part of the season, he was below zero, which basically right. meant he was hitting the ball directly into the ground, right? So first 92 games of the season, before he goes in the, the DL for the second time, 91.5 exit velocity, negative launch angle. Yeah. Last 34 games, 93.6 exit velocity, 3.9 degree launch angle. But more encouraging, he had 116 balls in play in that stretch. Um, Sorry, of his 116 balls in play at an angle greater than 10 degrees, more than one-third came during that 34-game stretch. And to, and to remind people what launch angle means, basically a zero launch angle would be right back at the pitcher's release point. So when we say 10 degree to 25 degree launch angle, that's higher than that. That tends to be a line drive. Higher than that is, is a fly ball or prop fly. And as you said, negative, that is down. That's into the ground. Uh, and it's interesting that that might be a Marlins issue because that was Marcelo Zuna's problem last year. Yep. Hitting the ball hard. Low launch angle, lots of ground balls, lots of outs. Uh, and so now they have Barry Bonds. And maybe Barry Bonds can help them out with that. But yeah, the, the overall point on Yelich is basically as the season went on, he went from hitting the ball straight down to hitting these like a much higher percentage of these perfectly hit line drives that we, we've been talking about. And most of his extra base, a third of his extra base hits came in basically the final like 20% of the season. So there's a, a really good, a lot of good indicators that Christian Yelich right. is going to be. Uh, to me, a breakout player this year. He's basically always been like a 290 hitter. He's the kind of player I think could easily hit 320. And if you're in an average league, he also steals bases. And he's the kind of guy that could luck into 15 home runs. 
he could end up being a really valuable fantasy player. Yeah, it's it's the fine line, right, between looking at a small sample and thinking that's the new normal and kind of saying, well, he actually did make a change, you know, and, and you can look at it working at, you know, exit velocity and launch angle. And I think that, that that can hopefully be useful in smaller samples than, say, batting average, because batting average depends on, oh, this guy made a great play in the field or he didn't or things that really don't have anything to do with you. And not to mention the fact that, as you mentioned, his consistency, there's a high floor. So even if he doesn't, you know, break out the yeah, way I'm not sort of predicting, he's, he's, he's going to be, be useful. He's going to be a useful, useful player for you. He's going to be useful. So we do want to go to guys we think are going to take a step back, but just really quick, I have to mention Jabari Blash because that's a great name. I don't think anybody knows Jabari Blash. Rule 5 pick of the Padres, and I mentioned him for two reasons. I saw him in the locker room in Arizona last week. The man is a monster. He is just, he's enormous. He's full of muscle. Uh, his line right now in spring training, 182, 400, 455, which means three true outcomes, right? All he does is either miss or walk or hit home runs. Uh, and I think he's got a real chance to make that team because who needs power more than the Padres, right? There's, there's one more darling of spring training I'd like to mention before we switch to uh, some regression candidates, and that's Michael Franco, because he leads, leads leads the Grapefruit and Cactus Leagues with six home runs. He's really looked great, been a guy, and he was a prospect. You know, there's there's reasons to be excited about Michael Franco. And on the uh, the leaderboard we discussed before of the uh, perfectly hit uh, baseballs, he came in right behind Alvarez, twelfth, yeah. um, in terms of like the. The ball is in the, the, the over 100 miles per hour, 10 to 25 uh, launch angle sweet spot. Basically the same amount, the same percentage as Giancarlo Stanton, which is impressive. And, you know, you look at Franco and he's got something that, say, Joey Gallo doesn't have. And that's a clear path to playing time because opportunity is a huge thing. We all know the Phillies probably aren't going to be that great this year, but that means they're going to give Franco all the rope he needs. You know, he's going to get plenty of time. And uh, I think maybe if people don't notice so much because they're, they're not going to be that competitive, he is really a guy who, who's had some big league playing time, had a prospect profile, and now is crushing the ball in spring training. I think you're right. You know, he's a guy who's maybe a little underrated right now because their base is really deep if you yeah. think about it. He's a, he's a guy that I think, though, I, I wonder if maybe some of the sleeper status is falling off because of this big spring. And there is spring stats will still, no matter what people say about spring stats, they will still come draft day kind of, of bring someone more to the, the forefront. Absolutely. But on the flip side, uh, leading off some of our potential regression candidates. Is, we're uh, we're is, staying in Philadelphia. It was one of his teammates. Uh, it's uh, Oduble. I hope I got that right. Oduble Herrera. So he was, uh, I believe, it was a Rule 5 pick last year. He had a really good season for them in the outfield. Uh, but he also had a 387 batting average on balls in play, which is the highest in the majors. Among qualifiers, yes. Yes. Uh, and it's extremely unlikely that he's going to be able to keep that up. And what that means probably is he got a little bit lucky just in terms of balls falling in the right spot. Uh, you can you can have a higher than average BABIP if you are, you know, D. Gordon, you outrun everything, or if you're Miguel Cabrera and you crush everything. I don't think Herrera exactly fits that profile. So, you know, you look at, at his, uh, his stat cast numbers, his exit velocity of 89, league average-ish, uh, launch angle of, of six, which means, you know, he's, he's kind of on the borderline between grounders and low line drives. None of that really stands out to me as a guy who's going to be able to keep that up. And, you know, especially considering he's a Rule 5 pick who was left unprotected by his whole team, doesn't seem to be a guy who's going to keep it up. Yeah, and he, he, he helps kind of show why launch angle matters because that a average exit velo velocity, identical to Alex Gordon. But Alex Gordon's average launch angle, 12.3. So he's in, in the line drive zone. Right. Right. And Herrera is in more in the ground ball to shortstop. I'll zone. buy Herrera's, you know, faster than Gordon, but I don't think he's that fast that it's going to really make a difference. So I, I agree with you. He's, uh, he's someone I would be selling. Yes. Right. Uh, uh Next name on that list? Uh, uh, Jason Kipnis. Man, Jason Kipnis cut out at a rough 2014, and all of a sudden, 2015, he exploded. He was just a, a, a beast out there at second base. Although a lot of that was really in the early part of yeah, the Yeah, well, year. he had that one month. It was like the greatest month in the history of the Cleveland Indians. Uh, and so now he's kind of back up there, and I think people are really valuing him high. But he's got kind of a similar issue to Herrera. 
uh, more more of a history of success, but 356 batting average on balls in play. Uh, and that that's kind of the same thing. It's hard for me to look at that and say that's going to stay there, especially since his exit velocity was ranked 162nd in baseball. You know, and he's not always hitting line drives at a launch angle of eight. So it's, again, on that kind of borderline between ground balls and line drives. Yeah, and he, you know, he had that launch angle of nine, uh, exit velocity of 92.2 in May, which was his big month. Right, that was the month. But four out of six months, he was below 90. Right. Uh, granted, there's a little bit of arbitrary sort of cherry picking there, but the point remains that like for most of the season, that wasn't the player that he was. Right. If you look at his total stat line, it's kind of inflated by the fact that for a month, he was unbelievable. And then the rest of the year, you know, he kind of is what he is. So useful player, no doubt. No good, question. Good player, but not the, you know, top three second baseman probably that I think we saw. Last year. Exactly. And you know, we already mentioned, I think certainly Odor and Cano are second baseman guys we already mentioned earlier, guys I'd want before him and maybe even Scope. Maybe even Scope, and then obviously D. Gordon, if you want stolen bases and, and batting average, he's your second baseman. So I think Kipnis is going to be ranked as being a very high, but, you know, maybe not, right? So And then the last guy I want to mention, just because he was sort of a darling last year, sort of a, a waiver pickup who did really well, Yunel Escobar. Um, got a guy who was av- eligible in a few positions, sort of the Ben Zobrist of fantasy. Had a really nice year, eight, but he was 18th in BABIP. Uh, matched a career high with a 25 3.5 ground ball fly ball rate as evidenced by an average launch angle of 3.5. So basically, all he's, ground balls finding holes. He's had a weird career. Yeah. He's had some very up and down seasons. And since last year was kind of an up, you know, I don't know if that's going to be a second year in a row. Uh, so that's a lot of guys we talked about. And I, I hope nobody's in it the same league, Matt, as you are, because I think you just gave away all your secrets. <laughs> Darn it. Darn it, right. Okay. So anyway, it's fun, I think, to, to kind of be able to use the StackCast stuff, the launch angle, the exit velocity, to, to have a different look at some of these guys and hope that maybe you have like an edge towards the season. And we know of one player who's trying to use StackCast in his game, and that is Charlie Blackman. Can I say how, how interesting of a guy Charlie Blackman is? So we're going to play some audio in a second that uh, I recorded when I was out in uh, Arizona last week. Uh, and I talked to him. He was really interesting. He's actually got a little bit of a numbers background. Georgia Tech, you know, yeah, the like, hearing guy. Right, exactly. I think he went, I forget what he said, finance maybe or something like that. But uh, he gets it. And he had some really interesting questions. And so I really, I enjoyed talking to him. And it's always nice to see a player who, you know, kind of wants to consume this num- the numbers and, and see what he can do with them. Uh, so it was a really interesting conversation. Take a listen. Everybody I love that. Yeah. Kind of. You can quantify all this stuff that's never been quantifiable. So... It's a big deal for those people who like the numbers and like to prove things and like to make up their own theories. <laughs> well, you have a numbers background, right? Didn't you go to school for... Right. I, I, I was a finance major. Um, I'm a concrete mathematical guy, so this is right up my alley. Cool. So I, uh, I saw a quote that you said at FanFest um, about spin rates, and you kind of had this theory that uh, as spin rates went up, batting averages would kind of go down on fastballs. Sure. So I saw that, and I thought that was really interesting. And so I ran the numbers, and it actually holds water. It's, uh, it's, it's, no, I already yeah. said it. It's true. I, mean, <laughs> I, I didn't know if it was a theory or something you'd actually had someone look into. Uh, I mean, it's. I mean, I, I guess t- statistically we would need to look it up, but that, I mean, that, that's what it's going to be. I mean, it's going to be. Yeah, it, it's funny. I, I guess you probably never faced him because he was your team, but uh, court. Rafael Betancourt had the highest spin rate. Yeah, that's why he throws the invisible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He just throws fastballs away and guys can't hit it. Um, they're just under it. Fly ball pitcher. Uh, that's why he was successful is because of that high spin rate. If he had an average spin rate, yeah. maybe not so much. Well, that's what we're learning about guys like Chris Young. You know, he's throwing 87 miles an hour, but high spin rate. He's throwing high fastballs and guys just get under it all the time. That's right. So I bet I could tell you the most effective way to pitch for a guy based on his spin rates. So you, you think if a guy knew he had spin rates, he might approach how he would pitch differently? 
Yeah. And not I guess, everybody. I mean, not everybody's a bottom of the zone guy. Like, yeah. I mean, that's that's the traditional thinking of of the best way to get people out. But I, I don't think that holds true for everybody. No, I know. Um, like Ottavino, for example, he said that he started pitching up more of the zone, and uh, had some really good success with it. Sure. It's just I think it's I think it's harder to pitch up there though because it's you know the the strike zone is a little more subjective. Um, it it's goes against what you've been taught your whole life and, and what you've been trying to pitch at, pitch towards your whole life. So I think it takes a lot of practice and, and it's hard to execute, but I think it can be just as effective or more. So than pitching down in the zone. Um, I looked up some of the other numbers for, from StatCast. And I, I thought it was interesting. They, uh, for center fielders, you're listed as one of the top five in route efficiency. Mm -hmm. right? So you take the best routes. Sure. Uh, I don't know if that's something you can really train for. you consider that more of a skill? Or I got a really good question for you. Sure. Let me ask you a question. Um, did you look up my any of my running speed, velocity, any of that stuff? Uh, arm strength, I think you were about. No, no, no. Like how fast I run. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where does that stack up? Uh, so we, I looked up home first, and we tried to sort out just things where you were actually running hard, not you know you jogging out of pop fly or whatever. And you were, yeah, pretty pretty well above average. About what four, about compared to center fielders? Uh, I don't have that in front of me, but yeah, above average. I mean that's that's one of your skills is, is being a very good base runner. I think even the other traditional stats, um, like you see on Fangraphs, that rank you as an above average base runner. I would hope so. Yeah, um, stole more bases last year. Yeah, so I, I think maybe StatCast will help. Like, we've got, I mean, if I'm an above-average base runner, and you said that I'm a, a high route efficiency guy, yep. how come my, all my defensive metrics are super, super negative? Well, I think part of that might be course field, right? And that's, I think it, I that, thought everything was park-adjusted. Yeah, some of those, like Dexter Fowler had the same issue when he was playing center field. Right? It, it's, such a, it's such a big outfield, you know, I think that that kind of, messes with the numbers a little bit and it also it can affect where you're playing um for example i worked with an outfielder who wanted to improve his metrics last year and i looked at it and i said you should probably take a few steps back because everything's going over your head and you're getting killed and he did it his metrics shot right on up this year i don't know if that applies to you i haven't looked specifically at metrics but interesting um of course field obviously is a huge outfit very big and so i think it might be the biggest one i believe it is uh, you got have more ground to cover than anybody um, I know everybody loves to talk about the thin air and hitting, but has that affected you as an outfielder? The ball, the ball maybe doesn't take the trajectory you'd expect it to? It just gets to the fence faster. Yeah. Um, and the gaps are wider. you know, you got to play deeper, you guys are further apart, and there's just more grass out there, so there's more places the ball can land. Everybody talks about home runs. I've always wondered if you pulled in the fences and, raised, and then raised the fences, what would that do? You'd have fewer balls falling in all over the place. Uh, yeah, you could do that. I think that could be close to the making it the most neutral park. Right. That's always the challenge. But as it stands, I don't even think it's in the top 50% of the league in terms of home runs. You know, I think it. I, mean, I think it's right around 50. It's not so much the home runs that are are, are skewing the numbers. It's just the the fact that the outfield's so big and yeah. there's more hits. Have you read about the, the quote-unquote Coors Field hangover, where it's not just that it maybe boosts your offense at home, but it hurts you on the road? Or not you, but like all players? I mean, people's, yeah, I mean, uh, I understand that. And, I mean, I, I know exactly. I mean, I've played it for a long time. And 
you know, while I don't think that's an excuse, I, I do think that while other players play in a more consistent environment on a regular basis, I, I think it's an, uh, just a, an, an added obstacle. Last question. When you were looking back at a season for yourself on offense, what's the one stat you kind of look at to evaluate yourself? Uh, I try not to get caught up in stats. Um, you know, I think there's a, a lot that you can't show in, in statistics. I, I just try and feel like I have a, a body of work that consists of a lot of really good competitive at-bats. But, but if I'm looking at any one thing, you know, I think the – OPS is a, is a good number. It's it's a good baseline. You know, I think it gives guys who may be really good at one particular area, you know, a way to still be, look and see produ productivity. You know, like maybe one guy doesn't slug or hit a ton of homers, he can get on base a little more, uh, and vice versa. So I think that's an important stat, and it's. It's relatively objective in the sense that we don't have people making up all these park adjustments and 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 making all these assumptions that are wrong. Uh, so I, I like the OPS statistic. Fair enough. All right. So that was Charlie Blackman. He's such an interesting guy. I really I enjoyed talking to him. Yeah, and I also have a, a uh, small personal connection to Charlie Blackman, my old colleague at Baseball America, Alan Matthews, who went on to be a scout with the Rockies, now with the Dodgers. First player he signed as a scout, Charlie Blackman. Charlie Blackman. That's a good way to start your career. No question. I can't wait for the Rockies to come back and play the Mets because I, I want to go, go harass him in the locker room and see what else he's got to say. So listen, that's been the StatCast podcast for this week. I'm Mike Petriello. That's Matt Myers. Thanks for listening. We will catch you next week. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.